here's your host, Evan Shepard. Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Race Rat Podcast. And in today's podcast episode, we are going to be talking about capital preservation. So if you're new to this podcast, basically on this podcast, we basically talk about uh, different strategies or different just general financial education things, particularly that pertain to making financial decisions or investing your money in the stock market, something along those lines. Um, And my goal behind this podcast is to really deliver a financial education to anybody that is willing to listen to it. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is or your gender or whatever it might be. My goal is is to find a way to fix the loophole that is in our modern world. And that and that missing part is really this idea of financial education. There are just so many people in the world that are not financially educated. And I'm not saying I'm the most expertise. I'm a, I'm a 20-year-old college student who has done pretty well when it comes to his investing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm no millionaire. I'm, I'm no um, entrepreneurial legend. I'm, I'm a kid that has studied markets, that has studied entrepreneurship, and that has studied finance uh, as, as kind of a religion for the past two or three years and became super fascinated with it. And my only goal behind this podcast is to really try to share that with as many people as I can, because if I can help somebody, if I can prevent somebody from making a poor financial decision, which obviously has affected me um, earlier in my life, then that's a win to me. And if that person passes it on, that's also a win. So if you're new to the podcast, that's basically what this podcast is about. I would really appreciate it if you leave a five-star rating and an awesome review, given that, you know, I don't sell anything or, um, you know, I don't ask for anything in return other than than that rating. Um, and, and maybe your business in, in a decade or so once I get um, a financial planning firm up and running. But basically on this episode, I'm, I'm going to be just talking generally, but also deep into why capital preservation is like by far the most important thing when it comes to having a financial education. Before I can get into the specifics of talking about capital preservation, I think it's really essential to actually discuss um, how you even get to that place. And I wholeheartedly believe that in order to get anywhere successful or uh, achieve any sort of goals uh, in your life that I think actually the most important thing behind all of that is that you believe that you can right we, we are growing up in this world as young adults or um, you know even people that have been on this earth for decades uh, four or five decades now we're living in a time where I think there has been the least confidence and the least um, opportunity instilled into kids I think we're living in a time where uh, we are so consumed by media, we are so consumed by politics, that it gives everybody the impression that we are living in the worst time ever, when really everything has never been so more accessible and so much more possible to anybody and everybody. And I really think that you have absolutely no chance of becoming successful or reaching your goals unless you can put yourself in a position and genuinely see yourself in that position. If you're the kind of person, like I know one of my goals would be to um, you know, start a financial planning firm and I would love to be able to travel the world and, and visit tropical places, honestly. Um, and I can totally see myself doing that because I know that the effort that I put in, I know the studying that I do and I know the 
how far ahead I am practicing this stuff, you know, for the past two or three years where nobody's even going to think, consider thinking about investing, or at least most people won't even consider thinking about truly investing until their 30s and 40s. And so I really believe that in order to get to that place that you want to get to in your life, it's absolutely essential that you believe wholeheartedly that you can do it and that nobody or, uh, you know, no individual person that you know personally, no systemic thing or, you know, no country, no government, no president, whatever, is actually in your way of achieving what you want. Um, Politics, you know, all that stuff can play a factor in your life, uh, but only if you choose to let it. And the sad reality is, is that many, many people let what they hear on TV and, and what they're seeing in the political world today define their ability to create what they want. Um, so before I get into anything about crap, capital preservation, I have to make it clear that this entire episode is going to be absolutely pointless if you don't take the time, um, if you haven't already, if you don't take the time to really um, evaluate your strengths, evaluate your confidence, and um, you know find a way to at least build that up a little bit because um, you know, conf- a lot of people think they confidence is like a natural thing. Like it's just like something that appears in people. Um, when really confidence is just the ability that is, it's just what's gained with experience. Um, so you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You have to be doing things differently. You have to be trying new things. Um, and when you do those things and you figure out that they're not so scary after all, that's really what confidence is. So once you kind of have the foundation in your financial education that you actually believe you can be successful, now I'm not talking that you feel like you have the potential to be the next Elon Musk or um, you know, Jeff Bezos, but have the confidence that whatever it is that you feel you want to achieve, it's, it's within reach if you work smart enough for it. And once you have sort of reached that foundation, then it comes into learning the actual technicals, right? Because it doesn't make sense to do it out of order and learn all this stuff if you don't believe that you can do it, right? So it becomes really important to basically surround yourself with the basic definition of an asset and a liability, okay? So an asset is going to be something that puts money in your pocket. That's really the simplest way to put it. And a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. Okay, and I don't want you to think of the definition any differently. Now, I want you to go ahead and think of certain things in your life that you can spend money on that will either put money in your pocket or take money out of your pocket and be able to effectively evaluate whether something is an asset or a liability. Because the truth is, there are far too many things that people think are quote unquote investments that are taking money out of their pocket and that are actually crippling them financially um, because they don't understand assets and liabilities and then that then affects capital preservation. So let's go through some things. A car. Somebody buys a car, right? And let's say they have a payment on it. (laughs) That should have given away. But a car is a liability because every single month a person has to pay to use the car otherwise it gets repossessed right okay liability your electric bill do you gain any money when you have to pay an electric bill no that is not an asset it is a liability okay um what about 
the house that you own, right? Everybody always says that the house that you own is the biggest asset you have. Why? Because you buy it and you invest money into it and then the value of the home grows over time, right? That's the number one assumption. But when you're living in your home, is it money going into your pocket or are you having to pay it to the bank? You have to pay it to the bank. So even though everybody says a house is is your greatest asset, and 90% of American household net worth actually comes from the equity inside homes, it's actually the biggest liability that anybody could sign themselves onto. Um, If you had watched uh, my IGTV that I posted yesterday, you would understand and um, get a better idea of why a mortgage is not only a trap to basically... um, be in debt and be a slave to um, the lender, um, but also a way to strip yourself of your freedom for something that is actually going to lose you money. Okay. So, excuse me. Now that we have defined assets and liabilities, we have to define what capital preservation is. Okay. And capital preservation is basically the idea of the money that you make Okay, what are you deciding to do with it? Are you spending your money on things that are going to make you more money? Assets, right? Like I would qualify a rental property as an asset, right? You may buy a rental property and you may take on debt for a mortgage so that you can buy the rental property. But at the end of each month, you're going to be generating a profit from that. That is an asset. Um, If you were super wealthy and you decided to buy a hotel, right, and you have people that are paying you to stay in your hotel and the value of the property is going up, that is an asset, right? You have um, a Apple stock, okay? You pay $105 for Apple stock, and then in a few months later, Apple stock is worth $120, right? You spent $105, now you have $120. It put money in your pocket, that is an asset. So once you can understand assets and liabilities, then it becomes trying to make as many decisions as possible with your money that are focused on creating assets and not purchasing liabilities. Okay. And this is the number one trap for, um, you know, the people like me who live in America, right? So this is going to be different if you're living somewhere else in the world. Um, you know, I know we have listeners from from all over the world, in, in, in Canada, in South America, in um, Europe, in Asia. Um, this might not, this might be a little different, but I'm sure that all of you can understand that America is a consumer a society. Basically, people in America go to work and they get paid, and when they get paid, they take the money that they get paid and they see what they can buy. Or gain from what they paid, right? So obviously they have to pay for rent, they have to pay for a home, um, and those ne- food, uh, insurance, all those kind of necessities come first. But anything left over, America is a huge society where we're we're basically flaunted with McDonald's and iPhones and video games and uh, you know movies and all of these things that are just begging us to spend our excess capital okay and capital preservation is just a funny word or not a funny word a big word for um spending your money wisely okay 
So the difference between somebody who can be wealthy and somebody who will die in poverty is their idea behind capital preservation, okay? Somebody who is wealthy is not going to be focused on going to Target three times a week to see what's new at Target, right? Somebody who's wealthy is not going to walk into a Target and decide that they want to buy a television because they have enough money left over, okay? The first thing that a wealthy person does after they take, um, you know, they cover their necessities, whether it's for their home or rent or insurance or food and water and electricity and, you know, all those necessities, um, the first thing that a wealthy person does is pay themselves, okay? And this is something that you can read in The Richest Man in Babylon. Um, and this is also something that is very prevalent in uh, biblical scripture, um, that somebody who makes the effort to take the remaining amount of capital they have from their business or their job, and they take a portion of that and invest it, and they continue to do that every single time they get paid, and they continue to do that throughout the course of their life, is how you create wealth, okay? So a wealthy person is going to allocate immediately a certain amount of the money that they make to investments, okay? Let's say <clears throat> let's say this is a person who's making $10,000 a month, okay? Um, obviously, that's going to be uh, different depending on what country you live in, what this idea of kind of, oh, you kind of made it is. Like I can say like in America saying that you have a good job or that you are on your way to becoming successful is when people break like $100,000 US dollars a year in salary. So let's say somebody is making 10,000 a month, which is going to be 120,000 in salary, okay? What somebody who has a good job and makes good money but will never become wealthy does is they see a bigger budget to spend given given that they're making more money. So, uh, you know, say that person is living on forty or $50,000 a year, and then um, they start making $120,000 a year five years later, right? They will upgrade their lifestyle. They will evaluate, okay, now I have more money. Now I can spend more on things that look cool or will impress people or that I want. And what they'll do is they'll raise their cost of living to what they're making, right? So they're always in this endless cycle of basically... Um, earning, spending, earning, spending, earning, spending until they realize that they're 60, 70 years old, that they're not going to be able to work for the rest of their life and that they're actually in trouble about it, okay? What a wealthy person would do, right? And I don't define wealthy as as somebody who has a ton of money. I, I mean, when I, at least when I'm referring to wealthy, I'm actually talking about people that are financially educated and have the potential to become wealthy. Because I don't think wealthy is something that's necessarily defined by the amount in your bank account. I think wealthy, to me, is this idea that you are working to create a future where you will not have to work someday. And you might be able to do it earlier than others. So to me, a wealthy person is somebody who recognizes that if they buy assets, then they can quit working earlier or escape the rat race earlier, or that they're going to be able to provide for themselves uh, pretty comfortably later on in their life uh, once they're no longer working. So what that wealthy person is going to do is they're going to take at least 15 to 20% of what they're given for a paycheck or 
uh, income from a business or capital gains, whatever it might be, and they're immediately going to set 15 to 20% aside. So let's say it's 10000 a month um, with taxes, at least in the United States, uh, in an average, um, that person's going to take home about 7500 okay? Let's say with, uh, you know, home, kids, um, insurance, cars, whatever it might be. Um, well, they really shouldn't have a car payment if they are financially educated. But um, let's just say that adds up to um, forty five hundred a month, maybe five thousand. Okay. Well, then, given that they were given seventy five hundred in take home net pay, they're going to take twenty percent of that, which is I believe fifteen hundred dollars, and they're immediately going to take the fifteen hundred left over and they're going to invest it. Okay. And then what do they do? So they have Let's say they spent five thousand on necessities. They invested fifteen hundred. Now the thousand dollars remaining is what they can use on fun things: eating out, entertainment, um, buying a new phone, uh, whatever it may be. Um, that's what they should be spending that thousand dollars on. So when I say that you have to, to become wealthy, I don't mean you have to be really stingy and that you can't enjoy life. Because what's the point of working really, really hard and saving all your money until you're 60 or 70 years old and now you're too old to go do the things that you wish you could have done, you know, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, right? I'm not saying that you can't have fun and I'm not saying that you can't spend money on fun things. But I am saying is that you need to make investments a priority before you do those things, right? And if you want to be able to spend more money on more fun things, then you should either reduce the cost of your lifestyle right don't live in as big as a house don't drive as nice of a car um or find a way to make more money so <clears throat> once you get past this step of okay i believe i can be wealthy second you understand what the difference between an asset and a liability is third you are consciously putting away 15 to 20 percent of your income every single check that you get Fourth, now plays into this factor of capital preservation, okay, when you're on that road to building wealth. And the number one important thing about capital preservation, it's pretty simple. It's not spending the money that you have set aside on things that aren't really assets, right? Finding a way to compound that money, okay? Capital preservation, right? Somebody doesn't understand capital preservation when they have a mortgage, okay? When somebody thinks they are buying a $600,000 house for $600,000, but then you actually take a look at it over time and you figure out that they're paying between eight dollars and $900,000 when you factor in the interest, which is typically compounded. It's about 50% of the value of the home. So let's say $900,000, okay, at normal like 3% interest rates, 3.5%, okay? They're paying $900,000 for a $600,000 equity. Uh, they own nothing, right? Because the moment that they don't pay something is the moment the bank takes it away from them. And you actually don't own anything with a mortgage until you make the last final payment. So first of all, they sign away their freedom to the bank because they have to make a payment every month on that quote-unquote asset, which is really the biggest liability, they are paying $900,000, at least in interest, 
to get $600,000 in equity. Then you factor in the fact that they are going to be paying, let's say, $70,000 in property taxes. Then you factor in the fact that they're going to have to pay for home insurance and the factor in that they have to pay 1% a year in um, in repairs for the property. Then you realize that this person is actually paying double for the equity that they're getting in a home. That's not capital preservation. You know what capital preservation is? It's recognizing and having the financial education to recognize that if you wanted to buy a home in Los Angeles, which is about 600000 US dollars, you would need a 20% down payment. And a 20% down payment is $120,000, okay? Capital preservation is understanding the opportunity cost of that capital and what the financially smart um, decision is for that amount of money. See, what most people do is they think they need $120,000, right? And that goes into the equity of the home. It doesn't. They put down $120,000 and then they get approved for a loan to then they have to make eight hundred to $900,000 in payments for a $600,000 in equity. So you're already looking at $1.2 there. By taking on a mortgage, people are signing away that $120,000 on a down payment, right? They are locking it up forever. And that money is not going to make them anything. That $120,000 is going to remain at face value $120,000. There will be no interest and there is downside risk because the property value could go down in the same way that it could go up. But that $120,000 is going to stay at face value. Somebody that understands capital preservation knows the power of having money and allowing it to compound and earning money off of it. If you invested that $120,000 into the S&P 500, which typically returns about 10%, okay? You would be looking over the course of 30 years. Reminder, reminder, this mortgage, right? You don't own anything. Nobody owns anything until they make the last payment on a mortgage. It is owned by the bank because the bank is the one that gave the money to purchase it, to give people the power to purchase it, and the bank owns it until people pay it off, right? You are basically, the banks have tricked people into thinking that they own a house when they put down a down payment and when they get the keys and they start painting rooms. But the reality is as soon as you miss a payment, you're, you're, you're gone, right? So the bank is really the owner of that asset. Granted, now you might be able to recognize why a mortgage is so profitable and why it is so widely advertised as an asset. Because the bank creates free money from people depositing, then they take that money and they loan it out. So they make free money uh, on, or they take free money and they loan it out and make free interest. And then on top of that, they actually get to add the assets of the um, of the home onto their books. They are basically compounding and compounding and compounding and compounding free money. That is why banks will never fail. But the reality is. The person who takes that $120,000 and invests it into the S&P 500 at 10%, like we talked about, which is the average, is going to have about $2.1 million, $2 million in 30 years. So what does that mean? That means somebody who understands capital preservation would know 
that the opportunity cost of buying a mortgage is significantly more than the $600,000 that people think it is when they sign up to buy a house. It is significantly more than the interest paid on the loan for the mortgage. It is significantly more than the property taxes, the insurance, the repairs, and the growth of equity on the home. What you're really looking at here is you would get $2 million in 30 years for $120,000 put away. So right off the bat, we have to subtract the $120,000 from $2.1 million. So right off the bat, placing a down payment on a home where you expect to be alive by the time you finish paying it off has an automatic opportunity cost of about $2 million. And then on top of that, you have to factor in your freedom that you're giving up by immediately signing that mortgage payment. Okay. So let's say like you have to break even on, you have to, the home, the home has to double for you to break even on that investment. Okay. Say you take the $800,000, the difference between the 1.2 million that your home would be worth after 30 years, if in fact it magically doubles and the 2 million you would have by just the down payment, then you're looking at an opportunity cost of signing a mortgage, $2.8 million over the course of 30 years. It is actually costing you over $90,000 to have a mortgage and your freedom on top of it. Might be a little bit of a, of a you know, I, I did, I kind of started a lot when I was trying to explain it. So let me reiterate it a little bit here. You think you're buying a $600,000 asset, okay? That's what the bank tells you. That's what everybody tells you. That's what your parents told you. That's what your friends are doing, right? The first thing that you do when you become an adult is you try to, is you get married, you buy a car, and you get buy a house immediately into debt. And that's what people spend most of their lives crawling out of. But let's say you think you're going to buy a $600,000 house. The reality is, is that you're going to need a $120,000 down payment. That $120,000 down payment, if invested over the 30 years instead of locked up in the value of the house, would actually net you $2.1 million. So automatically, by you taking $120,000, you're actually um, losing the $2.1 million minus the $120,000, which is about $2 million, okay? Then you have to factor in the fact that you have all these additional payments, property taxes, repairs, uh, interest on the actual loan, and um, the only way that you can actually break even on that aspect of it is by the property value doubling, Okay. So let's say the property value does double and you break even at $1.2 million spent. Um, what you're looking at here is $800,000 in difference between um, the amount of equity you would have by spending. You would basically be spending $1.2 million to have $1.2 million or $100,000 to make or $120,000 to make $2 million, right? So you automatically have to factor that difference, that $800,000 spread by actually renting by investing the down payment money and having the freedom attached to it at any time, right? Because you never have to make a rent payment. You can just leave, right? Like, like, like if you, if for some reason, like you can't make a rent payment, like you're just evicted, right? Or you move um, to a different state or you, and you can pick up and leave whenever you want. And freedom is really a huge asset. So you have to look at the difference between the $1.2 and the $2 million you would have, right? 
So you automatically have to take into account the $800,000 difference and recognize that by putting a down payment on a mortgage, it is costing you $2 million in opportunity costs and an $800,000 cash difference between the amount of value that you would have in the equity once you paid off the mortgage and the uh, value you would have by just, just not putting a down payment and investing it, which comes out over the course of that 30 years to $2.8 million which is very close to $100,000 a year that it's actually costing you an opportunity cost to put down a mortgage on something that you think is an asset. And you are paying $95,000 a year to sign away your freedom and to allow banks to have your home on their books as an asset and to collect money off of it until you pay off every last cent. Capital preservation is the idea of understanding opportunity cost, okay? It's the idea of being able to identify whether something's a liability or an asset, and it's being able to recognize that if you put your money in things that will not net you money in return, you have to be able to evaluate the future cost of that. That is capital preservation. It allows you to understand that you should be preserving your capital or using your capital more wisely um, in various different circumstances and various different purchasing decisions. So I beg of you, it is essential. Understand what opportunity cost is, okay? Before you make any sort of purchase, you have to understand if you have a payment, if you have to take any sort of loan, you're done, okay? The amount of money that you have, I don't even care how much the loan is. If you have a loan, you cannot afford things. You cannot afford a car. You cannot afford a home. And the banks will milk you dry of every cent you have because they're smart enough to know that you don't know that you can't afford it because they present you with this idea that you can't afford it if you use our money. The moment you have a loan, the moment you're screwed because every dollar that you put towards debt is money that is taken from you times 10 in the future you have to own your own assets you have to own your own infrastructure okay it's not about trying to acquire everything with debt it's about how can you use capital preservation to create a multitude of assets to the point where it's generating you enough cash flow or it's generating you enough um equity to actually start purchasing things in cash, okay? If you cannot purchase anything in cash, I don't care if it's a home, I don't care if it's a car, I don't care if it's a lake. If you cannot purchase it with the amount of money that you have currently, you cannot afford it. The moment you take a payment for anything, and I mean, think about this. They have basically integrated this idea of taking loans to quote-unquote afford something to the, to the craziest of things, Walmart roll, rollback, right? People are going in debt to buy an Xbox. They're making payments to buy an Xbox. They're making payments on a house. They're making payments on a car. Yet they find themselves every single month wondering, why don't I have any money? It's because you're spending your money on things that you can't actually afford. And if you really could afford it, then you would pay for it in cash. Understanding capital, understanding opportunity costs, and not signing up for th stupid things that are going to take money out of your pocket like a liability is the secret to becoming quote-unquote wealthy. Just nobody has ever, not nobody, a lot of people have figured it out. But the average person will never figure it out because they never question it. 
they never question it because they grow up in a world where they try to see how much they can get with the money that they have, right? And if somebody presents them the opportunity of actually receiving something tangible, even though they only have 20% of it, then they're going to take it because obviously people want more things. Unlimited desires, limited, limited capital. So until you can actually generate enough assets that create enough capital for you to actually start buying your own infrastructure, buying your own properties, um, you know, basically covering the things that you want in life, then you should absolutely be living below your means. You should be renting and you should be finding a way to put your money to work the best because there is no reward greater than giving up your freedom and, and taking on something like a mortgage or a car loan or whatever is number one way to start doing that and number one day to way to continue down that path for the rest of your life so i hope this episode was interesting i know it was different uh, i wasn't particularly talking about the stock market um but it, i just felt like the past few episodes i've been getting really in specific about strategies that you can use in the stock market and i felt like it was time to make something a little bit more general and something that i felt like i could just explain a little bit more personally um not so technical and explain the foundation behind why it's so important that first you can believe you can do it um basically educating yourself about assets and liabilities um saving a portion of your income and then and then capital preservation to be making with a culmination of all three of the previous steps to really start creating um wealth for yourself and this doesn't matter how old you are how much money you make um what your race ethnicity gender is um, anybody who believes that they can create wealth for themselves and they understand financial education and they understand that all they have to do is actually trust that that this is the right thing to do and that they need to question financial products, right? Question everything sort of thing um, is, is the only way that people are going to find a way to be successful. I mean, it, I don't, it's almost daunting to me how the average person goes through their entire life thinking that a house is their greatest investment, yet they find themselves with no money every month, right? And they give excuses like, oh, it's a, it's a tax write-off. You know, oh, you know, this is an asset. I have equity in the house. They say dumb things like that, right? If you can find a way to start questioning, hey, like, why are all these people that are always complaining about money and never having enough of it um, claiming that they think they know a lot about it? Okay, why why are all these people with with these huge houses and cars and everything uh, and and Gucci and Louis Vuitton products like always complaining about money? Yeah, I mean they make they make good money, right? They're able to to quote unquote afford homes and cars and vacations and luxury products, but why are they why don't they ever have any money? Maybe they're doing something wrong. What are they doing wrong? I I can for sure tell you. That the amount of times that I was told that a you know um, that a home is is your biggest investment by a multitude of adults, I was like, well then, why are you like complaining about paying this, right? Like, or like, why is this costing you so much if you, if you're not getting that much out of it? If you can find a way to be skeptical of the way that the average person kind of behaves and find a reason as to why, then it can really lead you down a successful path. So I hope this episode was interesting. I know it was pretty long, actually. I've been talking 
for 35 minutes now just by myself which is kind of impressive i'm gonna need a swig of water after this but uh, i hope it was enjoyable and all i ask is that you leave uh, a nice rating and a five-star review that's what helps the podcast grow and i would really appreciate it you know given that you know i'm not running ads or anything and i'm not selling you a product and i'm literally trying to give you a hand to this to this world and of opportunity for financial education for free I would appreciate it if you would share it to somebody who you feel needs to hear it. So thank you all so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to another kick-ass episode of the Race Rat Podcast. Make sure to leave an awesome review and follow us on social media if you enjoyed. Now get off your phone, because it's time to work.